This morning, you know, we've been in a series um, since the beginning of the year of exploring how do we live by the Holy Spirit, or how do we walk in the Holy Spirit. And um, it's always interesting when um, you actually live out what you're preaching. And so, because the reality is for this series, it started with a word before the first of the year that now has become something bigger than what I thought it was going to be, if that makes sense. And so as we, you know, we felt like the uh, heard that the first step was to go through the book of Galatians. And so we just finished that last week. And, um, and then you sort of say, okay, God, what now? And the cool thing is we, we pulled out those four keys out of the book of Galatians. And um, I'm not going to share them again this morning. I've shared them the past two Sundays. But um, if you want to hear them, you can go onto our podcast um, at sonomagrace.org, and you can listen to the last week's message, and it has all four in there. Or if you receive our newsletter that comes out on Sundays, it was in last week's, and it's in today's. So if you don't get that and you want that, let me know, and we can add you to the list. It's an email newsletter. Um, but so those four keys are what we pulled out of Galatians. I think it's it's life-giving for this year. Like, often you'll hear a message, and you'll say, oh, that was a great message, and you sort of tuck it away. I, I don't think the Lord's going to let us up on those things. Because I think if we actually applied those four keys, we would be a different house. I know I could say I would be a different person. If I really embraced those keys and implemented them into my life, I would not be the same person that I am today. And so anyway, I think God's on, he's on a move. He's doing something. And so what I did was when I was prepping early in the week, I just asked, okay, Holy Spirit, what next? You know, here we are, we're, we're, we want to walk in the Spirit, we want to live by the Spirit. What, what would you have us look at next? And I felt like um, that he said to look at the first three chapters in Ephesians. And so that's where we're going to go next. And um, my sense as I was pressing in on Sunday, Monday, last week, um, I really feel like the Lord is saying that this theme of learning how to walk in the Spirit, is, it will probably, we'll look at it throughout most of the year, if that makes sense. Right. And so um, it'll it'll become evident as to the why as we keep going through it. But I mean, one of the things we're going to look at today, I don't want to jump ahead too far with it. But if you look at the life of Paul, like so Paul wrote most of the New Testament. He didn't write all the New Testament. He wrote most, most of the letters and the different things that are recorded are written by Paul. And if you look at his life and you think about how influential was it for him, how significant was the message of walking in the Spirit to Paul. It really shaped everything that he did. From the moment he was knocked on his butt, right, by the Jesus himself, right, the, everything from that point, it really was a life of learning how to walk in the Spirit. And so we see that in, in him. And so it, it's just interesting that the Holy Spirit is highlighting for us today, in this day, right, for such a time as this. Much of it's not a new message. For those of you who are here, right? You've, you've read through the scriptures. You've looked at it before. You've studied these books. So you could feel like, oh, it's, what's, what's new about it? The, the only new thing is whatever the Holy Spirit's going to release to you as far as revelation that you can take and then apply in a new and fresh way. The, the reality is there's so much to God that we'll never know. He's just too vast. He's too big. But there's certain seasons where he makes deposits into our lives where he says, now's the time for that. Now's the time for this. Now's the time to open this door. Now's the time to break through in this way. 
And I feel like this is one of those seasons for us as a house, that God has something greater than what we even can imagine as we dare to sort of enter in. Um, And so, again, we'll see where it all goes. Um, So with Ephesians, just to give some fun facts about Ephesus, um, similar to the region of Galatia, right? It's in Turkey, modern-day Turkey, um, ancient-day Asia Minor. Um, Paul visited there on his second and then his third missionary journeys. So with Galatians, he was there on his first and his second missionary journeys. Ephesians, or Ephesus, um, he was there his second. He stayed shortly there, and then he stayed for about two or three years um, on his third missionary journey. And then um, it's believed that Paul wrote the letter to the Ephesians when he was in prison in Rome. So um, there's, there's different opinions. But anyway, and then, you know, was it the first time he was in prison or the second time, right? So we're not going to argue over it. But that's what they think is that it was written when he was in prison. Um, Ephesus, it was a, a significant commercial, political, religious center. And it was a, a very powerful sort of trading hub. Like it was a, a center of commerce where there was much trading that happened in that location. Um, and then after Paul... Timothy, who's Timothy, right? He was a disciple of Paul, right? Um, He pretty much, he had charge of the church at Ephesus for a period of time. I think that's interesting. Like there was something significant that took place at this city, this this body, this church in Ephesus, um, that it was passed on to Paul's most primary disciple, if you want to say, according to the scriptures. Um, before we look at Ephesians chapter 1, I felt like the Lord said, look at Acts chapter 19. Why Acts 19? It's a recording of when Paul stayed there on the third missionary journey, or at least it's a piece of it. It's a picture of it. And so if you have your Bibles, you can open up to Acts 19, and um, we're going to start in verse 1. It says, now it happened that while Apollos was in Corinth, Paul passed through the upper um, country and came to Ephesus and found some disciples. And he said to them, did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? And they said to him, on the contrary, we haven't even heard there is a Holy Spirit. Like, what are you talking about? Um, And Paul said, into what then were you baptized? And they said, into John's baptism. You guys know John, right? John the Baptist, right? And Paul said, um, John baptized with the baptism of repentance, telling the people to believe in him who was coming after him, that is in Jesus. And when they heard this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. And when Paul had laid hands upon them, the Holy Spirit came on them, and they began speaking with tongues and prophesying. There were about 12 men in all. So what was Paul's main question for these disciples that he met in Ephesus? Right? Did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? It was the primary for Paul, this question of the Holy Spirit. It was significant to him. Um, for, for the, and it's interesting, right, that they didn't even know there was a Holy Spirit. They were, they were baptized into, into John the Baptist's baptism prior to Jesus. They didn't even know, like, they probably had heard the name of Jesus, but they didn't know. They weren't baptized into Jesus They were baptized into John, which was a preparation of their heart to get them ready even for Jesus to come. And then just with a simple prayer and laying on of hands, everything changed for these disciples. They received Jesus and they received the fullness of the Holy Spirit as manifest with these signs and wonders, right? Um, It's powerful. 
And for me, what sort of stood out is that for Paul, walking in the Holy Spirit or living by the Spirit, it was a non-negotiable in the kingdom, right? It was a non-negotiable to the gospel, to the presentation of the gospel. The gospel without the Holy Spirit and all that comes with it, is it falls short. It's not the full gospel. So there's something there that God's wanting to press us into afresh to say, what does it really look like for us to grab hold of the fullness of who the Holy Spirit is and to incorporate that into our lives um, to help transform us, but also to transform the world around us. The scripture goes on in Acts and in verse 8, it says, and he entered the synagogue, this is Paul, and that was his custom, right? Whenever we ended, it started at a town, he went to the synagogue where the Jews were, or Jewish individuals were, and he presented the gospel to them first. And so he does it here in Ephesus as well. And he continued speaking out boldly for three months, having discussions and persuading them about the kingdom of God. But when some were becoming hardened and disobedient, speaking evil of the way, or the Christian movement, before the people, he withdrew from them and took the disciples away with him and had discussions daily in the school of Tyrannus. They took place for two years, so that all who lived in Asia heard the word of the Lord, both Jews and Greeks. So he declares the word to the Jews first. When they, certain ones, reject it, he pulls away those who did believe in the gospel that he was proclaiming um, to teach them and lead them for two years. And it's interesting that the, um, the letter states or the Acts states that in the process of two years, all, all who lived in Asia heard the word of the Lord. I didn't do the study. I don't know well, how many is the all. I can only imagine it's quite a few people. It doesn't mean that everybody believed, but it does mean that everybody in that whole region, because of what Paul was doing with this group of disciples, every single person at least heard the word of the Lord. That's significant. Verse 11 says, God was performing extraordinary miracles. Does this help to get the word out? I think so, right? Um, by the hands of Paul. So that handkerchiefs or aprons were even carried from his body to the sick, and the diseases left them, and the evil spirits went out. But also some of the Jewish exorcists who went from place to place attempted to use the name of the Lord Jesus over those who had the evil spirits. Now, these are people who don't have a relationship with God. They just like what's happening when Paul uses the name of Jesus or the disciples that are with Paul use the name of Jesus. They see something significant happens. So this grouping of individuals, they say, I think I'll try that. Right. So that's here we go. Um, and um, it says that they attempted to use the name of the Lord Jesus over those who had evil spirits, saying, I order you in the name of Jesus whom Paul preaches. How much relationship do you have? It's like the third, right? Like, okay, and that's what they say. Now, there were seven sons of Sceva, who was a Jewish chief priest doing this, but the evil spirit responded and said to them, I love this, I recognize Jesus and I know of Paul, but who are you? And the man in whom was the evil spirit pounced on them, subdued all of them, and overpowered them so that they fled out of the house naked and wounded. And this became known to all who lived in Ephesus, both Jews and Greeks, and fear fell upon them, and all the name of the Lord Jesus was being magnified. Also, many of those who had believed kept coming, confessing and disclosing their practices. So think of a picture of revival, right? And many of those who practiced magic brought their books together and began burning them in the sight of everyone. They added up the pieces or the prices of the books and found it to be 50,000 pieces of silver. 
So the word of the Lord was growing and prevailing mightily. This was Paul's time in Ephesus. Um, Jesus said that his disciples would do the same works and even greater works. We say that a lot here at Grace because it's something where we believe and we're pressing for it. And we see that, that Paul, this, this issue of, of handkerchiefs and aprons, right? It's like the sweat of his brow as he's working. It gets the residue of his spirit is in that. And it's in that cloth. And they take that and they lay that on a person who's sick and the person gets well. Or they lay that on a person who's wrestling with the demonic and the demon leaves. We don't have a, rec- rec- a record of Jesus doing that. Like we see people touch his garment. Right? So there's some evidence of there's, there's something significant about the transfer, right? But, but Jesus didn't say, hey, we're going to start a new ministry of anointing handkerchiefs and then putting them on people. This was something that I think probably just happened by chance. That they probably, it wasn't either Paul had an idea from the Holy Spirit, hey, take that sweaty, stinky handkerchief and go put it on that guy with the broken leg and see what happens. Right? Maybe it happened that way. It doesn't seem like it. We don't know. Um, but the reality is once they started recognizing, hey, every time your handkerchief or your apron that you were wearing while you were working gets laid on somebody who's sick, they get better. There's something to that, right? Um, Paul preaches the gospel of grace with power, signs, wonders, and miracles. It was expected that there would be power when you preach the gospel. It, the, the gospel without power is impotent, right, obviously, but it, it's, it's useless, ultimately. And that's hard, but it's the truth. What, what caused these individuals in Ephesus to take notice of Paul and the disciples and the gospel? It, it was the truth of the word, but it was because it was backed up with power. That had them take a step back and say, hey, wait a minute. There's something significant about this name, Jesus. It's not just any other name. We sang a lot about that this morning as we worshiped, right? There's power in the name of Jesus. Real power. And it it flows from relationship and this connection that you can have when you accept him into your heart. You receive the fullness of who he is inside of you. And that fullness is meant to be released to those that you come in contact in your sphere of influence. That was what Paul was teaching the disciples in Ephesus. Um, Paul was known in the spirit realm as one not to mess with, right? Um, And I think the reality is, is that's just not true just for Paul. I think that's true for every single believer. I think the difference that I see is Paul actually believed it. He lived it. And so many of the believers, myself included at times, I don't know that I fully believe it that the fullness of his power is inside of me and that when I speak the name of Jesus, it gets released into the situation and circumstance that I'm operating in. And I think that's a, that's a challenge for us to say, if, if we, we look at Jesus, Jesus said, right, you'll do the same works and even greater works than me. That's one thing coming from Jesus, right? We recognize his connection with the Holy Spirit and with the Father. When you look at Paul, who is Paul? Right? Paul is no different than you or me, other than his, his empowering encounters that he had with Jesus and with the Holy Spirit. And so what do we need to walk in the same kind of measure as Paul? We just need those same types of encounters. That's why we're pressing in for a fresh baptism of the Holy Spirit. Does it make sense?
right? We don't want to, I don't think Paul would want to put himself on a pedestal because Paul just wanted to be like Jesus. We talked about this last week. Jesus lived in, walked in humility, but he also walked in a confidence of his identity and the authority that he carried. He wasn't ashamed of who he was. He knew who he was and he could stand by who he was, but he lived out in a place of humility. I think Paul's the same way. Before Jesus, Paul lived way up here. He was the, the you know, all, well, I don't know the list off the top of my head, but the Pharisee of the Pharisees and the religious leader and all that kind of stuff. He lived in a high place. He was used to being highly esteemed. When he became a Christian, he said, I don't want to boast about anything but Jesus, right? The cross, right? And so he, he took a posture of humility. He wasn't trying to say, hey, look at me. No, he was always saying, look at Jesus. Look at Christ in me, the hope of glory. It's the same for you and me. So we're not going to get proud and arrogant by operating in signs, wonders, and miracles, right? You could, but I don't think Paul did. I think it just was his normal way of life. So wherever he went, that's what he did. And we see the impact that it has on this region. The the last, I I put picture of revival because here's a a group of individuals who were practicing in the dark realm, right? This magic that something moved them to say, we don't want to do that anymore. And so they're burning these expensive books, right? And it's like what you saw in Ashbury, right? There's a, there's a move of God where people are responding and, and connecting with God in a significant way that wasn't normal. It was sort of out of the norm, especially for their belief system. What ended up happening in Ephesus? Well, they, they realized they were losing a lot of money, right? And so um, somewhere at the Temple of Artemis or whatever, then they experience persecution and Paul ends up leaving, right? So it, the, the revival is significant, and you just don't know what's going to happen with all of that. But lives were changed and transformed, and, um, and the body of Christ in Ephesus grew as a result of Paul staying there those, those few years that he was there, if that makes sense. Um, all right. Years later, Paul was imprisoned in Rome, and um, he's writing to these disciples. And what we talked about when we looked at the book of Galatians was just how dear to his heart the disciples were to Paul, right? That they were like his children. There was, there was, they had a place in his heart so deep, so dear. He was for them. And it's the same thing with the, the disciples in Ephesus, um, if you have your Bibles, you can turn to Ephesians chapter 1, and it starts by saying, Paul, it's like his intro, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God to the saints who are at Ephesus and are faithful in Christ Jesus, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. So he starts by just introducing again, hey, it's me, it's Paul, right? I'm an apostle sent, a sent one by Jesus by the will of God. Like, it wasn't my idea. It wasn't my good notion. It was by God's initiative that I became an apostle, that I was sent even to you. And then he says, to the saints that are at Ephesus, right? So the disciples that are there, their reputation is they're faithful in Christ. So here it is years later. I didn't do the math. I don't know how many years later because they don't know for sure which time it was when he was in prison, right? But the reality is years later, what's the reputation for this group of disciples that are in Ephesus? They're the faithful ones, the faithful in Christ. Um, And he releases, Paul releases grace and peace to them. Verse 3, it says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, 
who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ. I think Paul's encouraging the believers to keep their eyes on God. Right? Whatever is happening in Ephesus at this time, the, the most primary thing that he starts his letter with is, remember, keep your eyes on the Lord, which I think leads to thanksgiving, praise, and blessing. And I wouldn't want to call it a cycle. Because if I look at, at, at God, if I keep my eyes on him, I can't help but praise, thank him, and bless him. And when I praise, thank, and bless him, it actually flips me right back to keep my eyes on him. And so it's this cycle that I see that if you incorporate praise, thanksgiving, and um, blessing God or having his focus, right, it will keep you in a good place of right, um, um, I don't know, yeah, just right connection with him. Does that make sense? And so I think Paul's just, he's just starting his letter by reminding them of this truth, that that they need to keep focusing on God, focusing on what he's doing. And then he says, every spiritual blessing that we have comes from him. So every every spiritual blessing that's in your life, if you have eyes to see it, it gives you an opportunity to praise and thank and bless God for it. I guarantee you, you're receiving spiritual blessings every single day of your lives. Sometimes we don't see it. We don't recognize it. We're so caught up in what's happening, right, or what feels tricky. And yet the reality is if we pause and we just say, Holy Spirit, would you show me what are, the, what are some of the spiritual blessings that are in my life right now? I guarantee you he will highlight things, and it gives you an opportunity to, to say, that's from God. Thank you, God, for doing that in my life. Thank you for releasing those finances. Thank you for healing this relationship. Thank you for healing my body. Whatever it is, thank you for giving me peace today in this situation. What, whatever, right? It's, it's, a, it's a, a good course that I think Paul's reminding the, the Ephesian believers um, to keep their focus on God and to remember where their blessings come from. Verse 4 says, Just as he, Jesus, chose us in him before the foundation of the world that we would be holy and blameless before him. In love, he predestined us to adoption as sons and daughters through Jesus Christ to himself, according to the good pleasure of his will, to the praise of the glory of his grace with which he favored us in the beloved. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our wrongdoings according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished on us. In all wisdom and insight, he made known to us the mystery of his will according to his good pleasure, which he set forth in him, regarding his plan of the fullness of the times to bring all things together in Christ, things in the heavens and things on the earth. In him we also have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things in accordance with the plan of his will, to the end that we who were the first to hope in the Christ would be to the praise of his glory." In him, you also, after listening to the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation, having also believed, you were sealed in him with the Holy Spirit of the promise, who is the first installment of our inheritance in regard to the redemption of God's own possession to the praise of his glory. What does that all mean? All right, so to break it down a little bit, the truth of for all followers of Jesus, this isn't just for those who were in Ephesus. This is who Paul's addressing in his letter. But the truth, here are some truths. That as a follower of Jesus, you're chosen in love before the foundation of the world. 
before the foundation of the world. Does that happen before you were conceived in your mother's womb? Yeah. You were chosen in love. That's a hard thing to wrap our minds around. But if you could wrap your, your mind around the truth that you were chosen in love, how different would you be? To really get it, I am chosen in love before the foundation of the world. That's so significant. It's such a key truth that I think the Holy Spirit is saying, I have this for you. Right? The second is that you're adopted as sons and daughters through Jesus because of his yes to go through the cross. We spent a long time in the book of Galatians looking at what does that mean? What does it afford us to be sons and daughters? Why is that significant? Um, in Jesus, we become holy and blameless before the Father. So in him, if you have a relationship with Jesus, you become holy and blameless before the Father or righteous. Um, in him, we have redemption and forgiveness through his blood. The gospel of grace is lavished on you. So you're redeemed and you're forgiven. It's done. Often I think those are just fancy words. And we know intellectually what they mean. I think the Holy Spirit is, he, he really wants you to get it in your spirit. What does it truly mean that you're redeemed? You've been bought back. It's done. And, and I think we take forgiveness for granted. I think it's lost its power. Because it's sort of just a, a Christianese. And that re, yet the reality is, because we have redemption and forgiveness through his blood... That this truth of, of his grace that's on towards us, it means we're in right relationship with him. And nothing can take that away. It's so significant. And it says that he makes known to us the mystery of his will and good pleasure to bring all things together in Christ, in heaven and on earth. Jesus is the key to the Father's plan for all mankind. There's no other key. It's Jesus. For this restoration of relationship, this Savior, right, that we accept in Jesus, there's no other way. It's through him that we can enter back into right relationship with the Father. Um, and when you accept Jesus into the heart, you get that. It's yours. We've obtained an inheritance as a people who hope in Christ. So the inheritance is real. It's yours. It starts today. How do you know you have it? The Holy Spirit's the first installment of your inheritance, marking you as redeemed in Christ by grace. The evidence of the Holy Spirit in your life, nobody can take that away from you. That's your first installment of your inheritance. It says it validates you. This one, qualified. Son, daughter. With that, full inheritance. With that, righteous, redemption, forgiven, um, sealed in Jesus by the Holy Spirit. It's who you are. And if that doesn't excite you, you need a fresh revelation of it. If that doesn't excite me, I need a fresh revelation of it because it's become stale. And nobody likes stale bread. If all you have to offer people out there in the community is stale bread, they don't want it. 
And so if we can't get excited about the truth of the gospel because we've just been in it for so long, we've just been doing it for so long, it's the same old message. No, it's actually life-giving. It's powerful. It's significant. We just need a fresh revelation of the truth of it. I'm sure Paul probably hit times in his walk where it was hard to have a fresh revelation. But it seemed like through the scriptures, right? Maybe it's the highlights. But it seems like he always gets back to this place of understanding the truth of the gospel and living it by walking in the spirit in in significant and powerful ways. Everywhere he went, even when he was beaten down, right? I love that story in Malta. You guys know I preach about it all the time. But he's shipwrecked. He's beaten. He's, he's been not trusted. They didn't want to hear what he had to say. And he stays with the boat, does everything he's supposed to do. He gets on the island of Malta. And what's the first thing he does? He gets bit by a stinking snake and everybody thinks he's going to die. Did he have reason to just say, forget it? He shakes the snake off. They realize nothing's wrong with him. And then everybody thinks he's a god. And he's like, no, I'm not a god. But then he heals the, the father-in-law or whatever, the guy. I can't know the whole thing. Anyway, the reality is it's significant because then every single person who was sick or had a disease on that whole island was healed. What's Paul's expectation? Wherever he goes, he's going to release the kingdom. Does it always look the same? No, it always looked different. There was an element of power, whether it was through his words or whether it was through his actions. There was an element of power. We should have the same expectation, whether you're in the bank or the supermarket or in your neighbor's house, right? Or whether you're going to visit your family across country or whether you're in another nation, there should be an expectation that Christ who lives in me, the fullness of who he is, I get to release that everywhere I go. I'm going to share. Somebody shared a testimony. I didn't ask permission, so I'm not going to share their name. They were visiting another church last week. They were in a different region with family members. And the person who was going to be praying for people at the front of the altar was sitting behind them as they were just worshiping in the service, that kind of thing. After the, the, when it was time to sort of break up and they were going to dismiss people to go to get prayed for, the guy stopped them and said, hey, the Holy Spirit is all over you guys. They didn't share a word. Not one word was spoken. But the guy said, I didn't want you guys to pray for me. Can you pray for me? Because I'm supposed to go pray for people, but I need what you have. I see what's on your life. I need that. Will you pray for me? They prayed for him. Then he went up and prayed for people. The the reality, the lesson is we don't realize what we carry. But other people see it. It's amazing. And so I think God is just trying to get our attention again and saying, hey, church, Christ in you, the hope of glory is not just a phrase that sounds good. It's reality. It's who you really are. And you have the fullness of what is in him to release to those that you encounter. All right. Um, Verse 15. For this reason, I too, having heard of the faith of the Lord Jesus, which exists among you and your love for all the saints. So Paul tells the Ephesian believers that he's heard the report about their faith and love for all the saints. There's a good report about this group of disciples. Um. This is how they're known throughout the body of Christ. And Paul just affirms them, right? He's a spiritual father. One of the greatest things you can do as a father is to affirm your children, right? You don't have to love everything they do, but it's really good to recognize and affirm what they do well and who they are, right? And and so Paul's doing that for his um, disciples. Again, he says, for this reason, I too, verse 16, do not cease giving thanks for you, 
while making mention of you in my prayers, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you a spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of him. I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened so that you will know what is the hope of his calling, what are the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints, and what is the boundless greatness of his power towards us who believe. These are in accordance with the working of the strength of his might, which he brought about in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at the right hand in the heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion, and every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. And he put all things in subjection under his feet and made him head over all things to the church, which is the body or his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. So Paul shares with the Ephesian disciples that when he thinks of them, he's really thankful for them. He's thankful for their yeses. He's thankful for their choices. He's thankful for how they're living. And he's moved to prayer for them, just like he was with the Galatian believers. And I think it's interesting what he prays. He prays for a spirit of wisdom and revelation of knowledge of God, that they would know God more. I think that's a great prayer. Do you want to know God more? (laughs) I want to know God more, because I know there's more of God to know. Um. He then he prays that the eyes of their heart would be enlightened to see the hope of his calling, Jesus' calling, which I think is their true purpose. That they would have eyes to really see what's their true purpose. He prays the riches of the glory of his inheritance, so Jesus' inheritance, which I think is the truth of their identity again as sons and daughters. And then the last thing he says is the unending great power of God towards those who believe. And I think in a nutshell, it's that God is for you. Don't forget it. There's no limits. He didn't have any limits for his power to be at work on towards you. Um, All because of Jesus Christ raised from the dead, seated at the right hand of the Father above all. He has rule, authority, power, and dominion over every name in this age and the age to come. Again, that sounds really good. We sing it, right? Is it true? Do you know it to be true? Is it alive? I guess is what I'm really saying. Is it alive for you that Jesus has all rule, authority, power, and dominion over all things? They're subject to him. He rules over all, and he's the head, and the church is his body, which hosts the fullness of his presence. And Jesus gives that authority and that dominion to you and me as his followers. That's a a weighty place. That's a weighty concept of what you actually carry. I don't own guns, right? I know some people, they own guns, and they, they know the quality of their guns and how significant one gun is compared to another gun. I think these weapons that we have of power, authority, rule, and dominion are far more weighty, powerful than we think. We realize. And we're supposed to partner with Jesus as he rules, right? Right? He's the head, not the tail. Where are we? We're with him. We're his body. (laughs) It's really true. We host the fullness of his presence. 
Um, what does all this have to do with walking in the Spirit? For me, I feel like there's um, just a couple things to remember. They're not new keys. I wouldn't call them new keys because it sort of reinforces what we looked at in the book of Galatians. But I think the, the first, and we're going to end with these, is the first is just don't forget the truth about Jesus. It's really, really good news. And again, like I said before, if, if it doesn't feel like really, really good news that you can't... Um, I don't know, like, I feel like we're supposed to jump up and down and be excited. I don't see it very much. I, even in my own life, I think there's a, something, the Holy Spirit, again, I think he's pressing on something. But the truth about Jesus, in a nutshell, he's raised from the dead, right? Um, go back to the other slide, one other slide. Raised from the dead, seated at the right hand of the Father. He's above all in power, authority, and dominion. He's the head, and all things are subject to him. For you with all of his, he's for you with all of his resources at his disposal. This never changes. This is who Jesus is. This is the God you worship. If you have a relationship with him, this is, this is the truth for you. And I think Paul is, is reminding the Ephesians, don't forget the truth about who Jesus is. And then the second thing is to don't forget the truth about yourself. And um, that's the next slide. So the truth about your calling and your purpose, which I'm going to take liberty to say is to become like Jesus and to reveal the Father's heart. Because as a follower of Jesus, we're becoming more and more like him. What did he do? He revealed the Father's heart wherever he went. So whether you're in business or whether you're a stay-at-home mom or whether you're retired or whether you're working the school district or whatever, like whatever you do, you may do a different job, but all of us have the same calling and purpose, which is to become like Jesus and to reveal the Father's heart. I think the Holy Spirit's saying, don't forget it. That's who you're called to be. If you like, I don't know my call, there it is. Right? Start there. Right? If you don't know what else to do, start there and then fill in the rest. Um, the second is your true identity as a son or daughter. Again, we went through it a lot in Galatians, but what does that mean? It, it gives you relational connection or intimacy with the Father and with Jesus as a brother, right, and with the Holy Spirit. It's so powerful um, to be a son or a daughter, and I think that that truth of that, that you were loved before the beginning of the world, the foundation of the world, it ties in with that. You're chosen, adopted, wanted, Loved radically. That's who you are. Don't forget it. Don't forget it. And then the last is that the Holy Spirit is the first installment of your inheritance. And what does that do? It marks you as redeemed in Christ by grace. You're a redeemed one. It's finished. You are redeemed in Christ by grace. And I think there's an invitation, a fresh invitation to rest in that truth today. Stop worrying. Stop wondering, how am I doing? And take some time just to rest in that place. I'm a redeemed one. And the Holy Spirit in my life, right? It's going to look different for every person, right? Based on where you're at with your walk or your journey with the Holy Spirit. We're not comparing. But the evidence of the Holy Spirit in your life that you receive when you accept Jesus into your heart is the first installment of your inheritance. Nobody can take that away from you.
Again, we talked about inheritance. You have to choose to receive it. Right? So no one's going to force it on you either. But if you receive it, nobody can take it away from you. It's yours. It's yours. All right, let's pray. Jesus, I thank you um, for what you're doing in our midst. We celebrate the testimony of Paul when he was in Ephesus and the way that he modeled what he preached and what his letters teach um, the Ephesians, where his focus is on you, right? That there's um, uh, the gospel of grace, the truth of his identity as a son, right, or a daughter. The truth of that identity affords him to walk in the fullness of power because Christ in him, the hope of glory, that he's a co-heir with Christ and that Jesus, you are the one who has rule and authority and dominion and power over all things. Everything is subject to you. There's nothing above you. There's no name above your name. And you, you bring us right into that place. We're with you. And so, Lord, I'm praying today that we would get a fresh revelation of the truth of our authority and our dominion and the power that you have at our disposal to release into um, our spheres of influence. I pray that you would help us to remember the truth of our calling. And that we're meant to become more and more like you. And we're meant to reveal the Father's heart wherever we go. I pray that you would solidify once and for all that we're a child of God, a son or a daughter. All that it means that we can, we're redeemed. We can come right into the throne room of God without fear. Yeah. And we thank you, Holy Spirit, for your evidence in our lives. And that's the first installment of our inheritance. And we say yes to it afresh today. Lord, we ask that you would continue to guide us. Would you remind us of the truths of who Jesus is as well? And that you would continue to lead and guide us in this journey of trying to, um, to know you more, Holy Spirit, to walk with you and to live by you um, or live by the Spirit. We just want to follow you where you're going. And we see that evident in Jesus's life. We see that evident in Paul's life. And so we recognize the significance of um, incorporating it into our lives. And then we celebrate what you're doing both in us and what you'll do through us in this community as a result. Yeah. And we just pray that you would seal the deposit that you made today in our hearts. And we just thank you, Holy Spirit, for how you're going to continue to water that and continue to... Um, provide nutrients to it to help it grow. And you know where each person is who's hearing this message. You know the, the key or the kernel that needed they needed for today, right where they're at. And pray that you would just bless them with that. Hmm. Yeah. I thank you, Lord, ultimately that the good news is really good news. <laughs> and um, I pray that you would, um, would rebirth and excitement about the good news to your body and the house of grace and the people of grace and me. And I pray that um, we would be a transformed people as a result of it. Yeah, we just ask you to seal all these things in Jesus' precious name. Amen.